Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. Well, we are back this week with the second half of the interview with Rod, the vocalist of Just A Ride, and we talk about all sorts of things. In fact, I would recommend sitting down with a notebook and pen as you listen to this episode, because Rod has so much to say on so many topics that are really, really helpful and insightful. So this week we're talking about things like the cost-benefit analysis of recording and the decisions you make based on that, the idea of hiring a producer and how important that can be, and the idea of agreeing decisions together as a band, how you go about things like that. So as I say, we're going to carry on with the interview and we're going to go into a question about recording. So, um, when it comes to recording, um, do you uh, all record yourselves where you live or do you go into a studio and record in one place? How do you go about that? So, we tend to do drums in studio and then we tend to record. Like, for our record, we recorded drums and bass in full in the studio we did some guitars in the studio we did some vocals in the studio um but we ended up almost re-recording all the vocals and all guitars at home because you i don't know i think i think the the access to quality equipment now is unbelievable and you know i'm not you know, I'm not, I'm not like trivializing it. It's still relatively expensive, but in comparison to what it was when I was young, when I was a lad, it is, it is accessible. It's, it's, it's something that is a, a worthwhile investment, even if you don't have the, the, the most means, but it, it is, you know, it is attainable. Whereas, you know, before it, it really wasn't. And yeah, you know, you're kind of like, well, actually, if you have the access to this stuff, you know, why, why take, why not take a bit more time, you know, get it as close to how you want it to be as possible, as opposed to, you know, I know that there is an element of like going in and vibing and getting, getting it all. Uh, and I'm not necessarily against doing, doing that, but again, it just goes back to what it is you can afford. Listen, I would, my, I mean, my dream would be um, like one of my favorite albums is Morning View by Incubus. And um, I think they rented some big mansion out looking over the sea. And I think they had Scott Litt, who, if, if people don't know, he's like the man behind uh, the sound of REM, who, you know, are fantastic. One of my favorite bands as well. And, you know, they were just there for months and they just vibed it out and they recorded this incredible album. I would love that. But... I don't have, you know, I'm sure that album cost a fair whack. I mean, to put it into perspective, I think the Violent Delight record, because when you get your record contract or whatever, they, they tell you how much money you owe them, like if you were to make money. I think we spent like £270,000 making our album. So I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Incubus spent a little bit more than that to do Morning Morning View. I remember actually at the time, do you remember that Corn album, Untouchables? I think that was $4 million. And you're just like, I mean, it sounds great. Was it? Gosh. I, I think it, I think, oh, you might want to fact check that. Regardless, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And it sounded incredible. But those days are gone. <laughs> and it just puts, it just puts massive pressure. But it's massive pressure to sell a ridiculous amount of records. And that's how people lose their deals. Because they spend money frivolously. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called Dig. No, I've not. Uh, no. 
Oh man, watch that. If you like, do you like rock docs? I do, I do. I'm a fan of such things. Have you seen Anvil, Story of Anvil? I have. I really like that film. Oh. I forgot about that. Actually. So, D- Dig, Dig and Anvil, uh, Story of Anvil are my two favourites. Um, and some kind of monster is close. I've actually seen but, that. Um, <laughs> oh man, you have to watch that. It is, it, it's so weird because it's the most non rock and roll, rock and roll documentary. Like, um, that uh, I, I love going off on tangents, but there's just this bit at the beginning of the film where they're interviewing Jason Newstead, and he's like, "We are Metallica. We've sold a gajillion records. Like, and they want to go and have therapy." I just said, "That is so lame." <laughs> and it's just, but it's crazy. Like they have this therapist with them um, all the time. Oh, yeah, that like all the time. And it does come a point where I think he's $10,000 a week or something stupid like that. And um, I I think they they go, do you think maybe he has an agenda to keep us needing him? (laughs) And yeah, it's just, just all of this, but yeah, it's, it's anyway, sorry, going back to this film, dig. So there's this film dig is, it's about the Brian Jonestown massacre and the dandy Warhols as they're kind of like rise it rising up and, yeah, there's just so much kind of like behind the scenes stuff of like being in a band, all the horrible stuff in the industry. But there's there's this bit where the Dandy Warhols, they get signed to a major and the the, the label are like, we're going to do a video. And they do they do the video for the song, uh, Not If You're the Last Junkie on Earth, which is directed by David LaChapelle, who is a phenomenal like fashion photographer. And, uh, and he's done some amazing music videos. I don't know if you remember, there's a music video for the Blink-182 song, Feeling This. He, he directed that. He's done all sorts of stuff. Um, he has a really, really good, like, coffee table book called Heaven and Hell, where he's he just photographs, um, you know, he did stuff with, like, Courtney Love and Mariah Kett. Like, just huge, huge artists. But just the music video for that one track cost half a million dollars. And, like, you've got to pay that back. <laughs> and... You know, and they're wondering, like, they they luckily didn't get dropped, but they were close to getting dropped. And it's all this frivolous spending. And, you know, nowadays artists do a lot more for themselves. And I'm sure there are a lot of independent artists that frivolously spend, you know, that they think that they think that they're going to get value for something. And yeah, you just kind of, it's fine if you've got loads of money and you can just do it. Great. I just don't think that's most people. I think, um, a lot of bands, when they imagine um, success, they think of a band, I don't know, like Led Zeppelin or someone like that, where you can go into the studio or go to a nice big country mansion that you're renting, be there for a couple of months and maybe write the songs when you're there and eventually get around to recording them and take your time doing that kind of thing. And you're right, you, you, just, you just can't do that now it's supremely expensive and when you when you're paying for it yourself (laughs) rather than pretending you're not paying for it with the label um it's really important to make sure you're getting value for money and i think um something that every band has to work out is what do they think is value for money and for some bands that is let's go to a studio and record everything for some bands that is let's do everything at home and for some bands like yourselves it's let's do some of it in the studio that we feel would be beneficial in that environment and some of it at home and i think that's that's a really important thing to work out the one thing that we really do love to do though is to have a producer do you know what i mean and 
and be able to, um, if we can, all be in the room together and work on the structures and, and just having that outside influence, you know, I mean, um, you know, I think I, I said earlier about like, you know, attitudes towards having songwriters and, 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 and all this, all this sorts of stuff. And, and for me, it's just about getting different perspectives. You know, you get so wedded to your sound and your parts. And I think that is another part of, of, I don't want to say growing older because I don't want to be like, you know, there are young people who have this clocked at an early age, you know, it's about, it's more about maturity um, to understand what's good for the song and, and, and to be thinking about the best. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, we've all been in situations when we were, you know, when we were younger where you're like, I'm not listening to that person's feedback because they're talking about my part of the song and I don't want it to change. And actually that's the great thing about just, just letting go of all of that negative energy and just being like, okay, do you know what? We all care about the songs. We want them to be as best as they can be. And I think for a lot of bands, it's good to have that producer come in and say that, say those things and vindicate, um, you know, that, that discussion. Um, Cause I, you know, great albums, especially great albums from bands who were, you know, maybe on their first, second, third album, they're often led by a great producer as well. You know, for every band that they did it all themselves, there's probably a hundred others that, you know, getting, you know, getting that, I don't know, the producers that I really looked up to when, when I was a kid, you know, uh, Rob Cavallo, who did um, Green Day stuff, Brendan O'Brien, who did all the STP, uh, you know, you have like the people like your Rick Rubens, your Bob Rocks, they're legendary. Do you, do you know what I mean? And and that that actually, got, just going back to that Some Kind of Monster documentary, just to watch Bob Rock in action is, is um, I mean, I'm like a real like nerd for that sort, that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, you know, getting songwriters in like, right. And I, you know, there's, again, there's a big stigma about that. I mean, on one side of things, it's like, there's that whole Aerosmith thing where they really didn't want to do, don't want to miss a thing. But Diane Warren, who's one of the all time great songwriters had this song. It's for the Armageddon soundtrack. You're going to, it's going to be perfect for you. I'm sure they don't regret doing it. You know, you can make someone else's song. You can make someone else's song your own. Personally, I think bands should embrace writing with other people as opposed to just here's a song, perform it. You know, I can I can see more why there would be pushback on on that level. But I think you know if you want to, you know, if you, if you're serious about having a career in the music business, or or, or if you, if you want to be the best writer you can be, write with as many people as you possibly can because you will you know, maybe what you come up with isn't going to be very, it, it might even be rubbish, but you will probably learn something about someone's process. You'll, you'll see a different, different approach, um, that people have. And, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all just part of learning. It's, you know, and again, it's just about putting your ego, putting, you know, putting that. And I think rock musicians are the worst at this. I think there's so much stigma. There's so much stigma. And one thing that I think is really cool actually about positive things that came out of lockdown is I feel that um, hip hop as a genre really led the way in collaboration and innovation. And it's because it was really easy to just, okay, I'll do this on your track. You do this on my track. We'll send this. And, you know, there are great rock collaborations, but 
very much you'd be like, yeah, but we just need to be in the room and we need to vibe together. And when everything went remote, you couldn't do that. And it really opened up the opportunity for like, okay, yeah, let's let's work on stuff remotely and and realize, okay, again, it would be great if we could all get in the room together and we could vibe. But you know, you're, you're the cost of that, and also you're completely limiting the pool of who you can do that with because you need to you do it with people who are in your rough locale. But you know, something we were able to do was was to do like collaboration covers and stuff with bands from all over the world you know we 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 did stuff with people in the states in south america in indonesia and it's and it's amazing and then it pushes that pushes that envelope of could you truly have like a, a really diverse band where you could actually start a writing project with you know i don't know a scandinavian metal singer and you know a, a, you know a, a a drummer from Cameroon, you know, a bass player from South America and an Indonesian guitarist. Do you, do you know what I mean? You could now people's minds are open to, wow, that, you know, and you imagine what music they could come up with. Like that, that to me is like the, the exciting side of, side of things, you know, and in a world where you can just do everything digitally, like, of course it, it you know, nothing will beat the connection of being in the room and doing a gig and, 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 and doing all of that. But you know, you can park some of those positives and find other positives in other places. For what it's worth, I think the only people that are worse than uh, rock bands for not collaborating are metal bands. <laughs> there's, some, there's something about metal bands that is even even more elite in terms of who's writing for you and with you and things like that. Yeah, I think I think um, I hope I hope that will change, and I think that um, people are more open even to you know trying stuff within different genres i do you know what one thing i think is really strange is like because my my wife isn't like a big rock music uh lady and she finds it so funny because to her anything with a guitar is just rock music and i'm like what are you talking about like you know to her like there's no difference between slayer and blink 182 do you know and i'm like and then i'll be and then i'll be like well within like pop punk you've got all of these different sub genres it's just like what are you talking about but you know we do we do kind of you know when you're passionate about something and you and, and you care about things you do go into far more detail than probably most people i mean one of the things that i i found really interesting is just just in terms of like a um like a little experiment in, in spotify there's a new thing if you go into your Spotify for artists and you can see charts um, and you can, and one of the things that I thought was interesting, click on the Spotify rock chart and see who is the biggest rock act in the world. And, you know, you can moan about that. Oh, they're not really rock. But if you're trying to play this game, you need to know what Spotify think is rock. Who, who is it? You need to know what, uh, Imagine Dragons. Oh, I would never have, I would never have got that. I quite like Imagine Dragons, and then it's my dark secret. I quite like them. I think they, again, they, they are, they, they kind of straddle genre, you know, um, but but great great songwriters, you know, great songwriters. And I tell you, going back to the songwriting thing, um, like I, I, you know, coming from like a pop punk emo y kind of thing, like I was always a big Panic at the Disco fan, and. Um, I was like, you know, there's this song they had, they put out quite recently. Um, well, I say quite recently, because when you get old, like the years just merge into one. But like the song High Hopes, and it's like, 
Yeah, that's the billion stream song, you know, like, and it's a lot poppier than stuff that they've maybe done in the past. And then you look at that and I was like, I wonder who wrote that. Like, I wonder who he worked with. And you look at the credits, there are 10 writers on that song. Wow. And it, and it really takes me back to, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a really massive um, Queen and Freddie Mercury fan. And there's a, there's a fantastic documentary about Freddie Mercury called The Great Pretender. I think it, it might still be on BBC iPlayer, but, um, but it, it's really, really phenomenal. And they talk about when, when Freddie does his solo, his first solo album. And Freddie thinks about things like an old school musician. I'm going to do everything myself. And he finds it so hard. And he actually, during those, I think during those recording sessions, he actually goes to do a, a guest vocal on Thriller, which never made it to the album. But when he saw how many people were working on Thriller, it's like, this is why my album is taking so long to do. Michael Jackson has like 30 of the best people working on making you know arguably the greatest pop album of all time you know how can one person recreate that themselves if they want to do everything you know and and it's and and again it's that you know michael jackson might not be the most popular person these days but i think the music is you know if you're talk, talking on a, on a musical level it, it's it's work that that kind of goes down in the in, in the the, the all-time hall of fame you know and um yeah, you know, to, to realize, I mean, it's like a factory, isn't it? It's 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 like a, it's like an industrial machine versus you know Freddie Mercury the artisan. Moving over to a wildly different topic, how is the band managed? Is there a is there like a single person who's in charge, or do you share out tasks, or how do you go about that? So, I mean, we recently brought on our friend Nicky Smash, who who was the front man in the Rocket Dolls, and he. He's a lecturer at, at BIM, the British Institute of Modern Music, and he kind of is taking on some of the like managerial duties. He's he's done a good job recently, like uh, getting you know, helping out with tour and stuff like that. Um, generally speaking, most of the stuff in terms of, I guess, strategy and and the day to day running is me, um, and. Drew is very much the more of the, like the music and the recording kind of um, the musical director. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we we very much like share the writing, but he, you know, he knows more about like recording music and and all of the, all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, he's very much like you know musical direction of the band and that and that sort of stuff. I'm very much like marketing and administration um you know i i kind of like run all the socials and um make all the content and all and all of that sort of stuff and and keep people in tune with all the stats and and and, and all of those sorts of all of those sorts of things but it's like it's it's like a good um it's a good partnership and alex just turns up and plays the drums when we tell him to which is great alex alex is the greatest person i've ever been in a band with because he learns his parts anytime he wants to add something it's always for the best of the song he can just turn it on when he wants um he he's on time roughly well for a drummer um not in terms of his playing but just like you know there's there's not that much stress with him there's no he will turn up eventually 
you know, like there's no, there's no wandering off. And, uh, you know, when we go, we've got these costs, he just chips in. He doesn't say, oh, what's that for? But he just goes, okay, cool. So yeah, Alex is the best, best, um, musician you could possibly, um, imagine. Love him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and again, it's, everyone's playing to their strengths. You know, we don't, we don't argue about the direction we want to go in. We just trust we just trust each other, do you know? Um, I know that, again, you know your strengths. You know, for me, maybe my weakness is like, I'm a little bit too, yeah, let's just get going. Let's just keep moving. We keep going. Um, you know, I remember sometimes like we've had like mixes come back. It's like, what do you think, Rod? Sounds great. That's, I mean, that's my, I'm, a, I'm also a pragmatist because I'm also like at this level of the band. You know, we, we had a, um, we had a decision to make when we, when we were looking at, who we were going to get to mix the first album. And we were really lucky. We got the opportunity to work with uh, Chris Sheldon, who um, is a fantastic mixer. He's got a great reputation. He's mixed some amazing records like um, Color in the Shape by the Foo Fighters. He's mixed most of the feeder records. He's done Skunk and Nancy, Biffy Clyro. Like, do you know what I mean? It's did a lot of therapy stuff. Great. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Now I'm the voice of reason and I'm going, okay, that, that is significant. Like, this is great. We're getting someone who I, I have always wanted to, to work with. And actually we were discussing 20 years ago, him mixing the VD record, which unfortunately we couldn't, couldn't get sorted due to scheduling conflicts, uh, which we, I was talking to Chris about, which was funny that how things work out. But my take on it was as much as I'm sure his mix is going to be the best mix that we can get is putting this much resource in the, cost to get the mix done is that the best thing for the band and one of the good things about our band is when we make a decision as a band that's the decision of the band do, do, do you know and my stance on this was i would i would love it if we if we if if um if we went with chris and if you guys want to go with chris i'll chip in and we'll do it but that's what i've got to say on the matter but the guys will want to do it. We went that way, you know, um, and and it's great. You know, it's fantastic. I was I was very much of the opinion though, like you could always get a high level mixer to do a remix or a remix remaster. Like that's not an unusual thing to happen. Um, you know, my thing is just uh, thinking. I'm probably the person who thinks more entrepreneurial out of, uh, entrepreneurially out of the whole band. I'm just like, well, you know, you give me you know, give me 2000 quid to spend on Facebook ads. I'll get people to listen to the record. The question is in such a competitive market, mate, you know what? Maybe in 2008 going to Kerrang magazine is going, Oh, we've just got Chris Sheldon to mix our record. That would get you a feature. Doesn't happen anymore. Cause there's just so much music coming out, you know? And that's, and, and that's the thing. Like I have no regrets. I love the way the record sounds. It's absolutely fantastic. But, you know, and, and again, it's just constantly learning, constantly thinking. And I think for us, I would love to work with Chris again. Um, but I think the way that we'll have to run it is we will, we want to be, um, we want to be generating more income from the band before we invest like that again. And, and that's just part of a learning curve. You know, I mean, I'd love, I'd, it would be amazing, but um, I think what you need to think about is you need to think, okay, I use this, this um, example. I'm not sure how, up on, on Michelin-starred restaurants people are. But um, I went to a Michelin-starred Chinese restaurant called Hakkasan a few years ago. 
And it was the best Chinese meal I'd ever had. And being half Chinese, like I know stuff about Chinese food. It was £150 a head though. And I'm like, do you know, the most expensive Chinese I'd ever been to up to that point was probably £50 a head. Is it three times as good? Probably not. So like, you know, not to say, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of, it's that sort of thinking. And the question is, if you can afford £150 a head dinners, it's not a problem. But, you know, if you're, if you're maybe pulling resources away from other things to, to, to pay for that, you have to decide whether it's, it's, it's the right thing. But uh, yeah, if anyone's listening to this, Chris, I love your mix. It's fantastic. I'd love to work with you again. And we're going to do our best to become a big band so that we can use you more often. <laughs> I'm not sure the wink will come across on the podcast, but there was a wink. I just want that on record. Um, my my final question for you um, is one of uh, moving forward. So what goals do you have for the band in the next six months to a year or so? Okay, so again, I feel like I'm, I'm conscious of coming across like uh, some sort of like um, grunge Bond villain with my little, I'm quite cold and calculated, but our aim probably for like a, a, a general aim for this year is to gig continue to build our following and we want to convert the kind of growing presence that we're having on platforms like spotify and building our social media and turning that from kind of clicks into real life interactions with people you know we want to be we want to be gigging as much as possible you know it's gr- like like i said social media is great for making connections like making that initial connection but to really truly like you know start to build a fan base that you that are really uh, invested in what you do nothing beats you know going out there and playing gigs and 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 i think one of the awesome things um that that happens is especially like after you know we've gone through a difficult period you know in the world in the last few few years and you know maybe meeting people in the flesh that you've maybe spoken to almost like every other day for two years it's it's really lovely you know we actually quite recently we actually quite recently did that you know we were recording yesterday and the day before when we 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 got in we stayed in a hotel the night before and and just happened to live close to the um close to where we were recording is is a guy who who did some like uh, we did we did a song called Start Over and we did like a shred version so we basically took out the vocal and just had you know really good guitarists just like whittle over the whole song and um, this dude Chalky um, who uh, I think it's Chalky Metal Media on um, on Instagram if I'll give him a, give him a bit of a plug like he came out and had a drink with us and it was just. It's just really weird because it's like you, you meet someone who you've spoken to a lot and it's like you just, there's no like, oh, hi, who are you? You're just straight into it. And I think that's really cool. So we really look forward to, you know, meeting people on the road and, and, and connecting like that. But we want to, we want to, you know, just continue to build that reputation as, 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 a, as a real band, like a band in the real world, not just in the virtual world. Um, and, you know, probably like on a financial level, um, be able to monetize to the point that, a good a good amount of or a good percentage of what we invest in the band is covered by um you know whether that's cd sales merchandise streaming revenue gig tickets um you know like so many people like we love doing music and we're gonna do it anyway it's not cheap you know 
it, it, you know, it, it, it does cost money. And I'm under no illusion that I'm going to make money doing this. And why, why would I want to? Because I do this because I love it. Um, but if we can get to the point where a significant proportion is coming in, it allows us to just keep going to the next level and keep going to the next level. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we want to go. I, like our, like if, if we talk about like non-financially, what, what we really want to do is we really want to be in 2023 on the, on like the UK rock festival circuit. You know, there are some amazing rock festivals like, you know, there's Planet Rockstock, there's Winter's End, there's Stone Dead, there's, you know, and we want to be at the low level you know, early on in the day, be, being on those bills like that, that would be fantastic, you know? Um, and I, and I, and again, it's, you have to have those goals. You have to have those aims, you know, um, in order to get them, you know, you have to think, how can we justify that? What, what's going to get us there? Well, going out there and doing it, you know, it's, um, it, it that's the way forward. You know, and that's kind of where where we where we want to be heading. And I, I feel like we're on the right path. You know, I want to be able to put on a gig and know that, you know, we're going to sell tickets to people other than our friends. <laughs> and we can see evidence of that, which is great. You know, and, you know, in the slightly longer term, one of the things we would love to do um, is, you know, like a lot of bands that are streaming, you see streams coming in from different countries. And, uh, you know, we're looking at well could we get on a plane and go and play a couple of gigs in in one of in one of these countries you know in, in eastern europe is 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 a really good place for for rock bands especially you know countries like um poland uh, czech republic slovakia um even like more the eastern side of germany and there's more of a culture of like paying bands to play gigs there as well so you know, again, if you can if you can cover some of your costs, even if you can cover a, a little bit, you know, we were talking the other day, it's like you know you can you can do a gig in Swansea on a Monday night, and it probably can cost you if you think about the fuel, if you think about maybe taking half a day off work, if you think about you know maybe renting a van, getting a hotel, gigs like that can cost you a few hundred quid to do, and you know sometimes unfortunately you turn up to these gigs and there's three people and a dog if you're lucky. Um, and you know you're basically paying to do a rehearsal. It's good. It's good practice. Like it's it, you know it's it's part of uh, part of being in a band and it's part of going through that process. But you have to think. Well, if you're willing to make that loss, you know, could you go over do a gig in a foreign country where there is actually going to be a crowd? Because you know it's like satellite towns and stuff like that. Like you know you can go and there are some great venues in the UK that might be a little bit out of reach. But they're great gigs to do because they don't take bands for granted and people and it's an event that a band is coming and okay you might not be playing to your exact demographic but you're going to be playing to people and you know you should never judge a book by its cover you don't know who your biggest fan is going to be you haven't met them yet you know there could be anyone they could be anyone and and, and they, they could be any age range they could be any demographic you know don't 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 make preconceptions you know because that just limits you and you know there there are certain gigs, there are certain gigs in the circuit that are like that. They're great. You know, back in the day, a few gigs in the Shetland Islands. You know, who'd have thought you'd go there? But it's an interesting place. But you know, you play to a rabid fan base, um, and uh, the word you know, without being too controversial, the word rabid was was actually quite apt. <laughs> oh, and that's. Don't it was it was it was an experience. <laughs> 
But we did go back. <laughs> so, you know. To close out the podcast, I'd like to ask you for a song to play at the end of the uh, episode. So which song is it and why? So this is going to be the debut of a track that I referenced earlier. It's called Standing Here. It's the track that is going to lead our debut album, which is self-titled and out on the 25th of February. And yeah, it's actually very, very close to my audition tape for being in Just A Ride. So it's a really special song. It's where it kind of, you know, it's kind of like a rebirth song for me, get me back into music, you know, get me to realise how much uh, I love to do what I am lucky enough to be doing now. And uh, as a little, I guess, fun fact, it's probably the first song I've ever written in my life where I've actually tried to maybe like tell a story or this song is specifically about something. I generally speaking with my lyrics, um, I try to sing about concepts and feelings that you're having because I, maybe this is an unpopular thing to think about, but I think music should be for literally everybody. And I think that we live in a really divided time at the moment. Um, but I think ultimately whatever differences people have, they're motivated by the same kind of feelings inside. So I try to just talk about the emotional side of things. Um, and, and I'm also a believer that the song that you write is other people's to decide what it's about, you know? So I, I try not to do that, but this song in particular, you can't do that too, because it is specifically about, um, the Bernie Mad Madoff, Ponzi scheme, uh, which is a massive financial crime. And it is, the song is written from the perspective of a gentleman called uh, Harry Markopoulos, who had famously cracked the scam. And he was trying to tell the SEC, which is the Security and Exchanges Commission, who are meant to look over and regulate financial institutions in the USA. He basically was like, this is a massive fraud, guys. This is really dodgy. He's a liar. It's a pyramid scheme. It's going to fall over in itself. Um, but they didn't believe him. And um, it just did fall over on itself. And loads of people got wrecked, um, as we say in the crypto community. But that's before crypto. Um, and um, it was really, really sad. Like lots of people lost, lost their savings. So this song um, is written from his perspective saying, I tried to warn you why didn't you listen to me but it was your greed you wanted to believe the lie boom you know i usually don't believe in subtext but it's in this one that's <laughs> not what i expected this song to <laughs> and, be about. and sorry it was it was um, inspired by a really really great documentary called uh, chasing madoff which unfortunately i can't find anywhere i watched it on netflix many years ago and it was incredibly entertaining so uh, go check it out so this is just a ride with standing here. Thanks for talking. Thank you for having me. You didn't take my advice.